You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Is lasting happiness possible without God? Well, in this episode we see clearly that it is not. All may be going well for us at any given time, but nothing stays that way. Problems can occur, sometimes out of control, or we may have caused them through hurting somebody else. Such things can make us feel very sad and vulnerable. But if we turn to God, he can provide us with a happiness now, which maybe we have not understood before. This leads into an eternal happiness when Jesus Christ returns to the earth to establish God's kingdom centered in Jerusalem, which will expand and include the whole world. Lasting happiness without God is impossible. Well, here's some people that might disagree with that. I've got this thumping big check, $528 million awarded to them in 2016. Do you think uh, they look happy? Um, Do you think they're happy today? And everybody thinks that they've got an answer to happiness today. If only this would happen, maybe then I could be happy. It's the quest of uh, every human, isn't it? Regardless of um, culture or their country or their religion, there's this longing for happiness, you know, deep inside the heart of everyone. Yet few people find it. And why? Because if we're all searching for us, for it, somebody must have been able to find true happiness, surely. But so few seem to find it, keep it, and are able to live it. So if we're searching, maybe we're searching in all the wrong places. Because the things that we think will bring us happiness actually don't. So many a millionaire has declared that they thought money could buy happiness just to be disillusioned. And just as there is many winners of the lotteries, there is also many stories of winners who just want their old life back because it ruined them. What about other aspects of life? Well, sometimes uh, it's said that Um, The perfect relationship, wedded bliss, um, will bring true happiness. And sometimes people are disappointed and their expectations aren't met. Many a marriage vow includes words such as, I promise to be true to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, for richer and for poorer. And even by the vows that we expect of uh, marriage, Marriage has an expectation that can be ups and downs. So there's not one secret to things that are going to become all joyful and happy in every single occasion. What about even in another sphere of life, in the uh, sporting sphere? Um, So athletes think, well, if I win the gold medal, you know, then I will be happy. And sometimes retired athletes are quite depressed because they have reached the pinnacle of their sport 
and they now question what their sense of worth is. If you look at this particular picture, I ask you, who's the happiest person in this particular picture? We've got uh, Hannah Kearney of the United States celebrating gold, Jennifer Heal of Canada celebrating silver, and Shannon Bach of the United States celebrating a bronze during the 2010 Winter Olympics. And to use some useless facts that dads are well famous for, there's a study done on who is the most happy out of Olympic medal winners. And it's the bronze medal winner that is considered the happiest. The silver medalist is often disappointed because they just missed out and they go home to a life where they went, if only you could have beaten just the last one person in the world, the pinnacle of your sport. And the gold medalist is sort of happy but realising that that was the expectation that everybody had on them, that they are at the pinnacle of their sport and they needed to achieve. And the bronze medalist is happy just to be there, that they made the, the podium. What about family relationships? Is every family happy all the time? You know, people have thought, well, we'll only be happy once we have kids. And then it turns to, well, we'll only be happy when the kids leave home. Well, then it might be that they will be happy when they get over their health issues. Or it might be that they'll be happy when they meet their next wife. And so it goes on. So no one can say that they have found true lasting happiness through money, sport, knowledge or fame. Yes, there's temporary pleasures, but not lasting happiness, which is the focus for tonight's presentation. The search for true happiness can be like chasing the wind or trying to hold water forever in our hands. It's just an elusive goal. And so there are sort of two types of ha happiness I'd like to sort of define for us uh, tonight. There's a temporary happiness, and this comes to us in life when the circumstances in life are just right. It comes to us when things are pleasant and we're free of all troubles. It's, we got everything that we wanted that was on our birthday list, for instance. And circumstances like that can change in an instance and something happens the next day, you have different once again or something else happens in your life and that happiness of that moment just evaporates. And then there is a happiness that comes from God. And this is the focus of tonight's presentation. It's a happiness that lasts. It's about bringing an inner peace regardless of circumstances. No matter what the situation or difficult circumstance are that we face in life, and we absolutely all face them, true happiness remains. In fact, it can even grow stronger in adversity. Christ had something to say about this. And if you remember back on the first slide, I showed the um, family which had the big $500 million check, family then of millionaires. And remember how the general attitude of society is that being wealthy will solve every problem and that every problem will be solved then uh, by the wealthy. Maybe you can be at, uh, at a lunchroom or uh, meet somebody and they'll say, how are you today? And their answer might be, well, nothing a million dollars wouldn't fix, might be their reply. And so we sort of are wired to sort of think that money might bring 
uh, happiness. And what did Jesus say about this? Well, I invite you to turn up uh, if, uh, or use the screen, Luke chapter 12 um, from verse 13. And we'll see that Jesus had to speak about this topic of settling a dispute around money is the question that he was asked. So that's Luke chapter 12 and from uh, verse 13. And I'm reading from the King James Version. And one of the company said unto him, to Jesus as master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. So he's got a, a legal dispute. I'm sure there's every legal firm's got... Um, customers that have come in with a dispute over a will. It looks like uh, this is exactly the same sort of context here. And Jesus says to him, man, who made me a judge or a divider or a discerner above you, over you? And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. So he immediately gives this man a rebuke, as it were. He says, you've come to, for me to be some sort of arbiter that I'm going to settle your money dispute. And that might settle the particular moment, but do you think either side was going to be happy? They might accept the ruler's outcome. Are they going to be content? Oh, I should have got more. You know, like they still not, might not be happy with the outcome, but they might be settled with the outcome and that's why Jesus goes to the core and wants to talk to him about the emotion behind that particular situation he says well you've got a desire for more clearly because you're coveting you want to know more about um, sorry you want to get more possessions and he says you need to stop and, and think your life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things that you have and here you are fighting over something just for that little bit more. He now drops into a parable uh, to tell them in verse 16 and he speaks to him a parable and for parable is a word that's new to you. A parable means a story with a, a hidden meaning. So it's an everyday story which has got some sort of moral impact behind it that you can think about time and time again. So he says this parable to them ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So he's a rich farmer and he thought within himself saying what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He says I know this will I do I'll pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I'll say to my soul soul thou hast much goods laid up for many years take thine ease eat and drink and be merry. But God said unto him thou fool this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So we have this peek into this rich farmer's thoughts in this parable. He's got more than enough for him to uh, live a good life, as it were, but he's got an overabundance so the overabundance in its life becomes its own problem. And he thinks, well, I've got to find a solution for this. And he works out that solution. I'm going to pull down my barns, build a bigger one. And then he thinks, well, now I can be content because I can, I've attained the ladder of success. 
I'm going to, I can now eat and drink and be merry. And God cuts through that particular thought and says to him, you are a fool. This is just totally unwise because tomorrow uh, you, could, you could die or you could um, have something else happen to you. This man is a man who thought that he had arrived. Do you know, might know that expression where people say, oh, look, that person's clearly arrived in life. You know, you might, you might sense that somebody, you felt arrived in life when you got your first job, your first car, your first house, um, you know, your first $1,000 in your bank account or, or wherever. I was almost about to say my first million. You know, sort of thing, things like that. People might say that's when they have arrived. That, this is this rich farmer's problem. He's, his sense of when he arrived just kept moving out a little bit. He was chasing wealth with his desire that at that point he was going to be happy. And he had found that point that he decided, now I can retire. But Jesus also said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And his heart was on things that he had accumulated, earthly treasures. He had earthly treasures, but he had no what we would call heavenly treasure. He had no heart or no desire for the things of God. And what had possessions done to him? It created an invincibility to his thinking. I don't need God in my life because I've got everything that I need. And Jesus makes it clear, fool, this night your soul could be required of you. It could be gone in a moment. And even though, uh, as the parable goes, tonight your soul could be required of you, you could have a heart attack and die or whatever, you know, in a, in a flash also there could be a flood or a fire or a health issue. It doesn't matter. But that is tonight's topic, isn't it? Which is lasting happiness without God is impossible. This rich man could only get temporary happiness because lasting happiness would require to have God in his life, to put away the idea that he was invincible, that he had no need for God in his life. And this parable is just one of the ways that Jesus answers the question of, or, the, or um, asserts the statement in our lecture title tonight, lasting happiness without God is impossible. Which throws up sort of an interesting question, which is, if you, does God actually want you to be happy at all? If you can't, does he just want us to really uh, be unhappy with our lot, that we can never sort of have this sense that we can achieve success or uh, enjoy our family, our marriage um, and uh, the food around our table? Well, the answer to this question uh, is that God does want us to be happy, but what often is the problem is the way that that question is framed. Because the way the question is framed is it's like, I choose God or I choose to look after myself. Do I, if I chase personal happiness, then I can never follow God's path. Or if I choose God's path for us, then I can never be happy. And it creates sort of dilemmas that we might uh, can be set up in lots of different situations and I'll, I'll share a couple of those with you in a second. Uh, 
So I think the question is, is God really calling us to choose between happiness and being faithful to him? Does this dilemma happen when we're thinking about the pleasures of this life contrasted with, say, the disciplines of righteousness? Or the benefits of saving or hoarding some money for a rainy day contrasted with the sacrifice of giving and being generous? Maybe it applies when we see the appeal of striking back, a bit of revenge contrasted with the call of the scripture to look for forgiveness. Does God even care if we are happy or not? It might be a question that goes through our minds. Well, God longs for our happiness. When we look at the Bible, we can celebrate the fact that God clearly desires human happiness. I'll read you um, some verses from the Bible. Psalm 16 and verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with your joy in your presence, the eternal pleasure at your right hand. I'll repeat again. You will fill me with the joy in your presence. So God looks for us to experience joy in the knowledge of him. John, 15, John chapter 15 and verse 11. I've told you this, that your joy... Sorry. I've told you this, this is Jesus speaking, that my joy, Jesus' joy, may be in you, my disciples, and that your joy might be complete. So he's expecting his disciples to experience joy. Potentially a verse uh, in the Bible that's... Um, uh, famous uh, around Christmas time from nativity scenes if you're somewhat familiar with the Bible an angel said to the shepherds in the field be not afraid I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people so the birth of Christ was considered a moment of great joy um, for mankind and, uh, and we can uh, turn this one up because I'll, I'll use this uh, quote a little bit later again. It's uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 and So he talks about what should joy, or sorry, the, what the fruit of the Spirit. So the expectation that if you know God, what's the type of character that you should see in somebody who is following Christ is the context for this little uh, couple of verses uh, in this letter to uh, an ecclesia in Galatia. It says there in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, and there's our word, joy. So the fruit, the expectation is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So there's an expectation in the Bible that we are able to experience joy now. But it's a joy that is... Uh, experienced with a sense of perspective of the purpose of God as outlined in the Bible. 
So perhaps the problem that we can run into is that we can make this idea of happiness now the supreme goal instead of making God supreme. And we make happiness the objective, like it's a destination. that It's like somewhere we can uh, buy a ticket to and go to. And if we don't like the route and the journey that we're on, well, maybe we should um, blame God. Abandon that ship, hitch a new ride, take a new path. And we can conclude that, well, God isn't bringing us to happiness. There's some deviation, wasn't expecting that, didn't sign up for that. Um, I, I blame God. And it must be uh, what mankind experience or says by choosing to follow their own path versus God is that the path to God hasn't changed in all the centuries past. Times certainly are changing. But mankind continues to go, maybe I don't want to have a relationship with God, but I really like the idea of going to this destination happiness. And I just really don't like the idea of this biblical idea of an almighty God who rules over all. And instead, we, mankind replaces him with what I could call a robot God, you know, a robot that will do our commands who will adjust um, to our whims or we will uh, swap him out, um, find, find something else. And for mankind, if one particular pathway, they don't find pleasure in that particular activity, well, let's move on to some other particular area and see if that will bring us a sense of joy. I'll give you another Bible quotation. You can uh, uh, turn with me if you like to... and there's a. Uh, it's John chapter 10, or there's a section of the chapter on the slide. John chapter 10. Again, we're going to uh, be going into a parable. So it's a story with a hidden, uh, an everyday story with a moral impact. I'm going to read uh, Jesus describing himself in a certain way, talking about the people that respond to his message as... Uh, sheep that hear his voice. So John chapter 10 from verse uh, 7. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. So the, the, the area that, the, or the sheep compound. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and destroy. And I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he is not a hireling and not the shepherd whose own sheep are not, seeing the wolf cometh and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is the hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and I am known of mine. Okay, so, so where's the happiness um, in that particular uh, set of verses? Well, Jesus sets himself out in that parable as somebody who's going to look after the sheep. 
sheep are those that are prepared to hear his voice and he's prepared to be the great protector. Doesn't mean that there won't be challenges um, from without. But when he describes um, himself as being a good protector, he, as a contrast um, to what he would call a hireling or a hired hand or what we might call today a temp worker. So somebody who's just come in to do a job and when things get uh, rough, they, they might not be long-term committed to the, to the role and have a relationship with this sheep and wanting to see the ongoing success. So he says as the shepherd, I have got a long-term commitment to his sheep. That's what makes him a good shepherd. He's got a, the interests of that flock in his heart. And the other verse uh, is that need to focus on is that verse 10. I am come that, that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Now, it can be a little bit confusing and say, what does it mean that they might have life more abundantly? You're either alive or you're not. Like, that's the way I sort of think about it. So what does it mean to be a more abundant life? Well... The, uh, our English translation of the Bible, it has its heritage uh, in, uh, in Greek language and we can often go to some of the words in Greek just to get an extra a sense of the word and to have its feelings, uh, the sense of it really pop out for us. And the Greek word here around abundantly is the statement says in a remarkable or an extraordinary way. So I'm come that they might have life and they might have it in a remarkable or extraordinary way. What does that mean? Well, that means an everlasting life. So long-term joy from a good shepherd. It's not a short-term moment looked after by a temp worker, a hired worker looking after this sheep. God's commitment or Jesus' commitment to his sheep is to look after them in an for the long term, and the reward is going to be extraordinary, is what this shepherd says. He says, I have a plan. And it doesn't mean that things in life uh, won't um, test our resilience. And there is passages uh, throughout uh, the New Testament where Jesus actually recognises that and connects with people to say, you need to still be of good cheer. That's a statement that Jesus makes on several occasions. One of the occasions he said that was when it was to do with finding joy in a world of conflict and sorrow. He taught that he had overcome the pressures of the world that were going to rob and destroy that, but he had found peace and joy. And I'm going to share with you a couple of those passages in a moment. So he taught that it was possible for his followers to overcome with a sense of uh, connecting with God through prayer and having a relationship with him. I'm going to read you the uh, full quotation that I have just a short part on the slide there from John chapter 16 and verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer... I have overcome the world. So under no illusion, he says, in the world you have tribulation, there's going to be trials, there's going to be ups and downs, but be of good cheer, 
to connect back to the previous conversation we had about the Good Shepherd. Be a good cheer. I'm a good shepherd. I have a long-term plan because I've overcome the world. I'm have going to... I've got something remarkable and extraordinary um, in mind for you all. Another um, passage, also in John 16, verse 22, Therefore now you have sorrow, but I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice and your joy, no one will be able to take it from you. So that's not a temporary joy, that's a long-term joy. On another occasion, Jesus said, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. Sins being uh, something that we have done wrong. And he says, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. So the forgiveness of sins is probably the most important reality we can have now for experiencing true joy and happiness. Because sin robs us of peace. If we've done something wrong against another person... It can give us a sense of guilt and a sense of a burden. It can bring shame and awkwardness. Same, with, uh, same in terms of our relationship with God. So sin stands in the way of an open uh, relationship. So Jesus taught very clearly that we must aim to have a relationship with him. These things I have spoken to you. This is quoting from John chapter 15. These things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be, full, might be full. John 15, verses 10 to 11. So again, joy now is being connected with understanding Christ, understanding what the Good Shepherd has in mind for his long-term plan and purpose, and realising that it's not now. Life will have tribulation. It will have ups and downs. But I have a long-term plan to take care of the sheep that hear my voice. which is a real sort of contrast, isn't it, to advice that you might uh, get um, sort of out in the street. Most people would say, look after number one, That's what, because if you don't look after number one, nobody else is going to look after number one. And Jesus, again, contradicts this. He said, whoever fi- uh, finds his life will lose it, like our rich farmer. And he that loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 from verse 24, If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, like that rich farmer could that night. But whoever loses his life for my sake uh, will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world, the richest man, the biggest check, and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will reward each according to his works. He will bring that remarkable or extraordinary thing. And nature also teaches us this. I used the passage with you before from Galatians chapter 3 about the fruit of the Spirit. It's got lots of different pieces in it. For a tree to bear fruit... What is the first thing that happens? The fruit goes into the ground and it dies. The fruit it bears is not for itself, but it's a gift. Down the pathway of life to some point in the future, it will turn into a tree and 
new life comes and more abundant fruit is the result of that seed going into the ground to die. And not unlike what happened with Christ. He died and he was raised and he brings that new life and abundance of that fruit for us to enjoy and to take part of. And we can take part of it if we want to make the same commitment to choosing a life in Christ. Again, like nature, the seed has to grow amongst weathering all the elements of the day. Hot days, cold days, rainy days, days that are good for growing, days that are not so good for growing. So Jesus teaches us that if we try and always put ourselves first and look after number one, there will be no long-term fruit of happiness. And the Bible does write some odd things around the topic of joy, it might seem, on the surface. Um, James chapter 1 is probably quite a classic one of those. When James, book of James chapter 1 and verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And you might hear those words, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Well, that's, you think, well, that's not something that I want to sign up for. What a strange thing to write. How in the world could we be happy in the midst of trials? Why would we embrace discomfort instead of seeking relief from it as soon as humanly possible? When we realise that there can be happiness in discomfort... And this is this dilemma between the short-term and the longer-term perspective. When we can start to understand that the Bible can start to make a lot more sense to us. There's a character called Abraham who's very famous in both the Old and the New Testament who was asked to leave his country where he was set up and go live a life in a tent to a land he didn't know about, didn't know where it was, and called a, a land of promise. That was uncomfortable. That seemed like an odd thing to do, but he was given a promise of that land forever. Noah's Ark is quite um, famous. It was uncomfortable for Noah with his family to build an ark, but he did it for many, many years. Uncomfortable, but it saved his family. The man Moses... Uh, was a prince of Egypt and he went out of the palace and went out into the desert. He ran away uh, out there for 40 years and God asked him to go back into Egypt and uh, reconnect with his people. That was uncomfortable for him to go back in and see Pharaoh once more. And for sure it would have been uncomfortable for Mary to... Um, be the virgin mother of Jesus and experience some public shaming around that particular, uh, uh, about that pregnancy. And as the slide says around the Apostle Paul, who is one of the writers of many of the books of the New Testament, he said, I've learnt to be content or to understand what peace is, whatever the circumstances. I know that what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, 
I can do all through him who gives me strength. That's from Philippians 4, chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. So is lasting happiness without God possible today? No. Lasting happiness with God, um, or lasting happiness can only happen with God. And so what robs us of our sense of true happiness today? Well, it's very, um, very difficult to experience happiness when you're anxious and you've got no peace and there's a myriad of things that can make us anxious or frustrated on a day-to-day basis, finances, health, family, busy diary, uh, workers, people that you work with, and the list could go on and on, people that cut you off in the traffic. And we can spend a lot of our time worrying about the things that have happened to us what didn't go well today, or you know, processing conversations. You know, did they really mean that? I hope they didn't take me the wrong way. And our mind can go on and on about things in the past. But we also need to spend a bit of time being anxious about the future. What might happen next? We need to spend a little time living in peace right now. Because happiness is not when we are dwelling on the past or being anxious indeed about the future. We won't be anxious about the future if we understand God's plan and purpose. And that's the call that he asks us to enjoy right now. As the slide uh, outlines the quote, or part of the quotation from John chapter 4 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. You're going to have lasting happiness if you understand the pathway to myself. And having that perspective means that the peace of God can guard our hearts. It's a genuine way to remove anxiety, to make us content, to bring happiness. And he's opened up this way for us to know God and to receive the life of God. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.